Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about digital media production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. Today, we're going to talk about studios, $1,000 studios. So we're going to, over this year, we're going to keep on increasing the price. Um, but we're going to start with the smallest ones. I think there's a lot of people like, how do we fit into $1,000? But there's plenty of things that we can do. Uh, that will make you look great um, at $1,000, make you sound great. And we're going to talk about what those things are. So stay tuned for that. If you've got questions about that, the type of equipment, so on and so forth, go ahead and throw those questions in right now. Of course, you can throw in general questions. Uh, we're always looking for questions. You decide what the show is going to do. So as a viewer, as the producers, uh, your job is to tell us, these are the questions we want you to cover. This is the order we want you to cover it by voting. Um, so get in there and uh, and vote uh, early, vote often, ask your questions. And uh, let's go ahead and jump into those questions. Bill, what do we have? Our first one comes from Tobias Moss in Minneapolis, Minnesota, looking for comments and advice on micro outsourcing, editing, and social media work. As an example, if I needed just a few simple video edits per week, some top and tails, some reformat horizontal into vertical video and then post it to XYZ places. Go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, I wanted to make an observation about general outsourcing of this sort of stuff, particularly for social media. Um, outsourcing is not necessarily cheaper. It's just more efficient use of your time to get somebody else to do it, depending, of course, how much your time is worth. Uh, I do this, or my company does this quite a lot. But I have to tell you, we limit the social media we do that for. We don't mind doing it for some things where personality is easy to replicate, but particularly things on Instagram, places where your brand is very important to you. It's very hard for somebody to imitate that. Yeah, 100%. Jason? Yeah, I completely agree with Nigel, but uh, I will offer an option here. Fiverr with two R's, I think, is, is kind of the best mix of very inexpensive, and if you can can it in a very specific way, it should be able to do what you need. Go Bill. And also just understand that it's easy to ask for things and it's hard sometimes for people to understand the difficulty. For example, you gave two examples here, top and tails. That is almost universally really simple. So for somebody to go in and top and tail something, you're just finding a point and cutting off everything before that and then finding a close point and cutting off everything after that so you don't get the big boring negatives before and after the content you want. Simple, you can do that very quick. Reformatting horizontal into vertical there is a way you can do it that simply by just saying center punch the vertical video out of the horizontal video and let everything run that way. But if you do that, you're often going to get a horrible result because if there's a person on the frame speaking over here and you've center punched them and a person over here, neither of those two people appear. So literally, you have to go through every minute of the video and make creative choices if you want a really useful, compelling piece of content to come out of it. And that means however long the video is, somebody has to sit there and make those choices every frame along the way rationally. So just understand that that for you as the producer to understand what you're asking somebody to do and how much work that entails is a part of this process. Yeah. And, and the thing that I, I often say to people when we're working on this kind of thing is it's easy, it's easy to watch content or it's easy to make content. It's not easy to do both. And so as we try to make something where we're just pushing out a lot of content, a lot of times you kind of water down your brand. You water down what you're doing by just trying to do the easiest thing that you can to push out a bunch of things. And so really look at, I would, I would, I think you'll do better off doing less content better than doing more content so-so. 
you know, you really, so I would, you know, think about how to, how to do that there. Uh, I do think that fiber is probably a place that you go if you really need this done. Um, but I also would, would really recommend thinking about how much you're putting out and what the quality is so that people are really looking forward to it each time. Uh, next question. Tom Ferguson's up next from Phoenix, Arizona. It's World Backup Day. Are you backed up? Good, Tom. Well, I just thought I might as well nag everybody here while I'm at it. Uh, make sure that you're doing the right thing. Uh, are you doing uh, NAS storage, perhaps, for your projects that are not current? RAID on that hardware backup? Uh, any single point of failure you're taking care of? Boy, if you're not there, you need to back up. You go, John. It's an interesting paradigm because I reformatted my entire drive when Ventura came out because it needed to be a clean install. And, you know, in the old days, I would have to grab my backup drive and reload all my applications. Now I keep, now I keep everything, uh, all of my data files are all up on Dropbox, and that makes it super simple for me. And then I, all my machine is up on Time Machine. Um, so cloud storage has been a godsend for me. Go, Jason. I'll just reiterate the three, two, one rule of backup. You need three copies of the data, the original and two backups, two of which are on different physical forms of media. That is the cloud or a NAS or, and a NAS, one of which is in a different physical location. So the way I accomplish this in my studio is I have a Synology NAS that in turn uploads selectively to cold storage, and that's the stuff that I simply cannot be without. And it's that simple. Very good, Bill. And don't forget the long-range dumping of stuff that is never going to be of value to you. I found after 20 years of doing hard drive backups, I have stuff that I still haven't gone back and said, you know, it's 2007 content. There's almost no reason I'm going to need 99% of this. It's time to get rid of it out of my life so I don't just continue to add up more and more backup drives forever. Alex? My solution for a while, which hasn't failed me, is using Backblaze. So what I do is, because I work with a lot of big projects, and I don't want to have to keep buying more and more hard drives, once I'm done with that project, once it's fully synced to Backblaze, I actually get rid of it. I delete it off my local hard drive. There is an option with Backblaze you, that you, you have to pay extra for it, but they will keep your data forever so it to fully archive stuff. So if you do, five years from now, you need to go back and you need to download something, you can still do it. And that's worked for me. And how much is Blackblaze? Black back I Blaze? I think they increased the price, but I'm, I think I'm only paying about 60 bucks a year. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> okay. That's, yeah, go ahead, Jason. Um, what, um, what Alexander is talking about is immutability, and that is one of the really neat format or features that Backblaze has throughout every one of their plans is you can, you can upload something and say, you're not allowed to change that. If I change it, reiterate it and let me pay for the storage, but don't allow me to change it. And that, that is, you know, ransomware proof. Next question. Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida, comes up to us next with, how do you get mid-journey results without text? You, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, it was, I, I thought, I was like, how do you generate something in mid-journey without text? And I was like, you need text. You need to figure this out. So I was trying to put together, like, what is, the, what is he talking about? Go ahead, John. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a stickler, isn't it? And this is, uh, we've been playing with Firefly now, and it's clear that they're going to, to, uh, diffuse things into layers on Photoshop to make this particular thing easy where you're going to be able to 
easily edit stuff in and out. The problem is their database, their model's going to be much smaller than Midjourney. It's it's a challenge with uh, Midjourney right now. I find myself having to take all that stuff into Photoshop and edit it in there. Yeah, I mean, the hard part is is that you, it's hard to say no this, no that because it's, it's an additive process the way it the way it comes together. So, I think that the thing that we're hoping for is that Midjourney uh, version six will uh, put the text on layers, you know, and create those rather than um, the same way that Firefly does it. Or what we're a lot of us are hoping for is just see layers in general, uh, layers, depth maps, so on and so forth, so that you can make some selections inside of what Midjourney is outputting. So that that's what we're hoping for there. I actually don't have a solution for that. I go in and photo, you know, I I find it funny that I'm a retoucher. I am a uh, diffusion retoucher, which is that I go in and I it gets super close to what I want. It's got a couple weird things, and I just go in and fix them in Photoshop as opposed to trying to uh, argue with it to get the thing that I'm trying to get out. Uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. What are the best options for ticketed video now that Facebook is shuttering theirs, especially for low budget nonprofits? So one of the things that I thought was really interesting was is that we were, before the show, we were trying to, we didn't know that Facebook did this. I think that's probably why they're shutting it down is that a lot of us uh, just didn't um, didn't know that Facebook did ticketed events. We did find a, a link from a Switcher Studio on how to do a ticketed event from 2020. Uh, but I think that it, it just didn't really uh, turn the corner. I, a lot of the larger producers of video, um, live video, live streams, um, pretty much walked away from Facebook uh, in 2017. <laughs> so 2017, 2018, Facebook changed its algorithms. And um, they, when they changed those, um, it dramatically affected the the um, profitability of doing anything on Facebook. <laughs> so, so, so the, uh, so a lot of folks, you don't see the same kind of streams uh, on Facebook as you used to, uh, because a lot of the companies that could do really high end ones went somewhere else because it wasn't, it wasn't a great business model. Um, and so, so I think that, um, I, I think that that's probably, so anything they add now is really just for folks that are doing you know, hobby, <laughs> hobby streams. So, or, or, or it's a stream of something else that is one of the, the outputs that they're doing, not the only output. No one, I don't, I don't know anybody that builds for Facebook anymore. Um, and so the, uh, which is, a, a, it's amazing given that they, for a moment, they were the, the place that you stream to, um, you know, so uh, anyway, so I think that that's the, that's the challenge they have there. Vimeo has a lot of for pay solutions. I think what you want to look at is both um, Vimeo's, um, and Bill was talking about this before the show, but Vimeo has a lot of solutions, whether it's pay-per-view, but they also have OTT solutions. Now, this may not be for a very small nonprofit, but things to look at is that Vimeo has a great way, turnkey. So, oh, I want to be in these stores. I want to be in the Apple store and the Google Play store, and I want to have a bunch of things, and I want it to all be branded around, and I want some live and some VOD, and I want to build those controls. And, and I think Vimeo has done the best job at making those relatively turnkey to make that work. So I think that that's probably your best bet beyond building, you know, your own, you know, the, the other thing you can do is do something as simple as Squarespace with a, um, with Stripe, you know, and building something that gives you access to a page um, and then do some embeds. So if you're really trying to do something inexpensive, that's almost a zero cost to, to do that kind of thing. So um, that, that's another option as well. Next question. Douglas Carmichael up next. With many large venues have migrated to mobile-only ticketing, wouldn't network congestion be a real issue if you have lots of people using data in the same space? Go ahead, Nigel. So most of the ticket venues in Austin now are, are all completely uh, e-tickets. I think they'll, they'll accept a scan offer 
off a barcode on a printed ticket, but mostly the e-tickets. Most of us get those e-tickets on our devices before we leave our home or on our network. In fact, we a recent, I think it was the Cure tickets, they wouldn't even allow you to print them. They won't allow you to transfer them. The 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 problem that Taylor Swift has have had with the way their tickets are done is changing a lot of things for us. When once you get to the venue, uh, people used to have handheld ticket readers. I don't think they were as much uh, checking whether anyone else had come in on that ticket as much as they were certifying that that was a, a legal ticket. But those have now been replaced by poles uh, rather than handheld devices. And there are SSIDs, there are networks within any location that are secured to the ticket people only, and they give them a significant bandwidth. Uh, so, but I don't think they're actually checking that you're the only person as much as authenticating that that's a legal ticket. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. I just want to say a momentary uh, bit of silence for all of the kids who, like me as a young man when I was in my teens and early 20s, was able to get tickets to see good shows. I don't think that's ever going to come back again because it has become such a huge conglomerate-driven business. And when you see mid-level tickets going above $1,000 a seat for things like a Swift concert or Bruce Springsteen concert or one of the iconic names in the business. It's going to be, it's going to change how people relate to artists and music. And I'm just sad for that. If only there were other ways to watch live things like in theaters. <laughs> All right. Next question. Next question comes from Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia. Panasonic makes some low-cost prime micro four-thirds lenses that support autofocus. Has anyone tried these and know if they're any good? And he's got a link there. Good, Jason. I've never used the primes, but no one else really jumped in here. Uh, I really like the mid-level zooms from Panasonic, and I have another one from, uh, who is it? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking, but... It, quite good and I can control them. For example, the zoom can work directly through the studio cameras. Um, and I, I have no complaints, but I've, as far as primes, no, I've, I've never had the guts to try just a prime because I'm so used to that full frame. Yeah, I think that the, um, the if, you're, if you're looking for that, it should be fine. I think that the Panasonic autofocus is probably not quite as good as the Sony, but it's pretty strong. And for the kind of things that we're talking about, I think you'd probably be fine. Um, and, uh, these are, I mean, generally Panasonic's making some pretty good glass. So if it's a, if it's a, um, a prime lens, you probably would have some success at it. 25 millimeter, uh, it just depends on, is, is that the 25 millimeter for that? Uh, is that a full frame 25 millimeter or a, um, or a 25 millimeter for the micro four thirds? Do you know? It's for the micro four thirds. Yeah. Because that'd be pretty wide. Are you using it? Are you thinking about using it as a studio, or what are you planning for there? Well, I'm not even sure if that's going to be the right focal length for for me. Because I'm going to be well. This will lead into another question. But basically, for a two person podcast, where I need to be able to talk to someone, but I'm not necessarily going to be able to run the controls. I need something. I'm probably going to need autofocus. I can't because I can't really, like, I can't really do manual focus when. Uh, I don't have the capability to constantly run to the camera and make adjustments, right? And we right. need some freedom of movement um, because if the sh if the depth of field is so shallow that there's no room to move, that's just not going to work when people are sitting at a bar and they're leaning in and talking to each other like this. You're going to have them going out of focus all the time. So that's right. why I was thinking I need something with autofocus. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, autofocus is <laughs> useful. That's why I moved to the camera that I'm using now. Uh, so, so yeah, so I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. Next question. 
Next question comes from Dave Chalmers in Glasgow, Scotland. In a recent show, the panel recommended the Shure MV7 as a good choice for podcasting. Does this recommendation stand for an InVision remote contribution mic for Zoom, Teams, and so forth? Go, Jason. I don't see why not. My experience hands-on is with its uh, older sibling, the SM7B. But uh, yeah, I, I don't see why not. For sending things out, uh, it, that is the mic that that I still send out to folks. Like for the Michael Krasny show that we do, uh, we we send out MV7s um, generally. And the reason for that is that they they are a solid mic. They have a lot of off-axis rejection, and they're simple. So one of the problems we get into with some of the mics with lots of little dials and buttons is people get them into the wrong state. <laughs> and it's really easy. And, and then we're trying to remotely figure out how they can get back to the right state. And so that's the that's the big challenge we've had with any mics that have any serious amount of control. Um, it comes with confusion, you know, for the on the other side, people bump something. Now we don't know where it is. They don't know where it is. A lot of times the mic doesn't tell you clearly what state it's in. Um, so so we've really um, we find that the MV7 is is probably one of the best ones to send out to folks so far. Uh, we're continuing to test mics all the time. Um, but when we, it's funny, I think a lot of mics have been really pushing that we have all these dials and controls on the outside of the mic, and that's exactly what we're trying to avoid, <laughs> is, is have those. In fact, we would prefer the MV7 to just be turned up all the time. Like, we would prefer that little, the little slider on the top that controls volume. It, it's, its responsiveness is so low, there's no reason to ever turn it down. <laughs> so it just needs to be turned up all the time, uh, all the way to the top, in, in, my, in my opinion. Um, next question. Philip Older in Katona, New York says, is there a software available which will determine the properties of a video file and then create a profile to export that to a common encoding program? You know, we've that has been a feature request for a comp compressor for a long time that I send in like every couple of years. Like, hey, I just want, I need to throw something in here and have it look at what that is and then have it create a, a profile to create more like that so that we can match things out. And I don't know any app. There are apps that will show you. There's there's a um, Jonas Dottel in our in our group has one um, that is uh, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's a it is a um, he has a, a small app. I oh, I don't know. He showed it yesterday and I just I'm not sure if it's a um, his file spec app, his file spec app. Is that out uh, I have it. I'll find. OK, yeah. Um, info B link. Yeah, info B uh, is 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 there, and so I think that that's one that will give you a bunch of that information. There's a couple apps like that, but then you'd have to still type that in and figure out how to create that inside of your encoding app. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, same exact thing you've run into. I use a little app called Media Info. Drop a file on it. It'll give you a readout of all the specifications that exist in that file. But then the problem is getting that, getting a, an intelligent transfer function that will parse that, understand it, and convert it as best possible to the next thing. It would be really interesting to have somebody do like compressor info or whatever, where it literally looks at all the information and gives it to you in the same order that compressor has it. So that all you have to do is just, you know, there's like a little thing that goes down and you just do the thing, you know, that's there. But really, at that point, I mean, these the, the, the compressor profiles are... I think they're just XML. So you could theoretically have a, a media info or a or a B uh, uh, info B, just simply export, you know, pump out an XML that was uh, a controller for that. That'd be really interesting. Uh, next question. 
Gene Wilder's up next from Lafayette, Indiana. Opinions on, and then he's got a big link there. It looks like uh, something about Talkback Manager for Field Crew. So we're dealing with Talkback here. So Talkback or, or comms. Um, the uh, so Talkback Manager is a, is a place where you can have an SRT mini server. You have, um, and they're really talking about ways to communicate back with the reporters. Uh, so this is a. It's interesting. Um, yeah, there's a note there about intercom for mobile phones. So I think they want mobile phones to be able to yeah. get on the intercom or comms network. Well, I think that what it what it appears to do, and, and again, we're now discovering this with everybody else, uh, but what it appears to do here is um, actually uh, allow you to be able to get the video back but be able to talk to the to the to the actual um reporters so if someone's picking up their phone and streaming to you via srt you can talk into their ear of hey i need you to move over a little bit i need you to do something else i think we should bring them on i think that'd be really interesting to have them on the show and see what they what they're actually doing there but i you know we don't have any experience with it or or strong opinions other than it could be really cool be so a brilliant um, idea if they could figure out something like a side chain that's digital that demuxes and provides that back channel com com would be revolutionary yeah yeah so it'd be, it'd be really interesting so let's let's see if we can't uh i've already saved that link and we'll see if we can reach out to them and uh and see if they're if they're a game to come on the show and talk more about it that's a great looks like a great idea now uh, a quick reminder that uh, we um we are this whole show is written well, it's not written but it's the outline is created by the viewers, by you. So if you're watching right now, uh, how you create that outline is to ask questions in Makana and to vote those questions up and down. And we still got another 40 minutes to go. So uh, from the first hour, and if you've got questions about the $1,000 studio and, and what you might add to that, then um, then uh, go ahead and throw those in for the second hour. So, um, But this is a good time to do it. Next question. Uh, next question from Douglas Carmichael says, Seiji Ozawa, whoops, we've moved... Uh we moved to a different one. All right. Well, to Joe we'll Andrews. Ourselves there. Uh, In, hold on. Let's, yeah. uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened there. Let's see. So I can read this from the on-deck circle. Uh, Seiji Ozawa conducted the Saito Kinnan Orchestra in a performance stream to the International Space Station. What encoder and or pipeline would you use to stream to the ISS? And would you take any special considerations with the mix for such a unique environment? So uh, streaming to the ISS or connecting to the ISS is not nearly as complicated as it seems. There's a satellite dish in Houston that goes uh, that uplinks to the to um, uh, to the ISS, and so there is a there's a little bit of a delay because it's in space, uh, and um, and so the the main challenge is getting the getting the connection to Houston from wherever you're at. So um, there is uh, the uh, NASA in DC sits on what's called the AVOC network, which is an old Verizon net uh, optical network that's still still in, in use in DC. So a lot of times uh, what we've done in the past to connect to the space station is to get to a, an interconnect. An interconnect in, in uh, DC is at, uh, there's a company called DCI that's in uh, 2000M and they're, it's probably the most connected building in the world, but it has the switch LTN, 26 dishes on the roof, AVOC, all these other things that are all in one place. Uh, Eurovision comes in and out of that out, out of that building. And so uh, you just need to get it to there. <laughs> once, you, once you get it to there, you can you, you can connect to the NASA network and uh, and send that back out. And so that's that's how you get there. And so you can get there via satellite, via uh, internet, via you know anything else that's there. And then from there you, you manage the handoff to uh, to NASA. The only thing you think about a lot is being clear. So one of the things when we when we've connected to the space station in the past, 
um, one of the things we were very care- careful of is if you're speaking, it's really important that the mic doesn't have uh, any kind of other, you know, you really want something with a lot of off-axis rejection so that the speech is clear um, that's there. And then if you're doing any interaction, you kind of build in the response time. You'll see the the, uh, the astronauts will nod a lot because there's a little bit of a time for, uh, delay that it takes to get there. You'll also see that they usually fill their time by spinning their mic. They just go like, they, they throw the mic up and <laughs> the mic is like spinning in front of them. And they, they do that definitely to show off. <laughs> so go ahead, Bill. Well, I just, it'd be a fascinating thing. And it caused me to think, you know, you don't want to put speakers on the outside of the capsule because you're in space. It's not going to work. But that means that you're really building sound profiles for the inside of a capsule with an artificial environment. That's an interesting idea. I I don't think that, I think that it's more of a, hey, we did it more than, than, than they actually really enjoyed it. I'm sure that they're, they're uh, in ear whatever that they're using while they're, while they're working is better than anything that they're going to hear in the capsule. It's mostly a um, usually it's a show of technology and, and again, the space station, it appears much more complicated than it, than it is to, to connect, um, you know, to, um, I, I will say that a lot of broadcasters don't do it very well because they just know how they know how to do it. We found that we could reduce the latency a lot by, um, by using fiber to, to get to where we needed to go rather than a satellite up and down and twice is really creates a lot of delay. So, so we, we found some faster, better ways to do that. But the uh, but it's you know it's it's a it's a it's a process. It's mostly logistics. Working with NASA is mostly logistics. It's lots of meetings and time, and there's a script <laughs> that, that that you follow that that needs to be written, done verbatim uh, to to make sure everything works. And there's a lot of security. But outside of that, it's a pretty straightforward process. Uh, next, it's question. interesting. You know, you see comms so often in space movies where you know the pilot is talking to everybody in the crew, and you just wonder what is the sound profile in that thing? It's going to be yeah. a weird atmospheric mist hard surfaces everywhere. How do you do that even? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most people, when they're doing comms that matter, something's in their ear. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's, the, that's usually the thing that happens. Uh, next question. Alexander Knight, Vancouver, British Columbia. Has anyone shot a two-person conversation in someone's kitchen other than positioning cameras to try and avoid shiny metal appliances and aiming for short depth of field? What other tips do you have to make it look good? Go on, Alex. Yeah, to give you a bit of context, so I'm developing develop, <laughs> developing a new podcast uh, that I'm going to do with a friend of mine. So it's just going to be a two-person conversation. I'm thinking about doing something a little more casual looking. So in my kitchen, I've got like this, it's kind of like an open design, open concept, and there's a bar area. So we would be sitting um, opposite each other on stools. So of course the other the problem with the kitchen uh, and assume the lighting's fine is that I've got some shiny appliances back there. So I'm thinking about at least covering one. I'm going to do my best with the camera angles to not have that and have them there visible and of course shallow depth of field. But I'm just looking for any other additional tips um, in terms of set dress or trying to put things in front of things, that kind of thing. There you go, Jason. I would always start with room tone, especially in an environment like that. Record a little bit of room tone at the beginning of every episode because it may become very useful if if you need it later. Also, the number of refrigerators that I have unplugged in a kitchen if I need to record something is is kind of staggering. So, yeah, think about that. Yeah, good, Bill. Also, think about aerosolized particles. If you're doing live cooking, then all sorts of things are on stoves bubbling and and frying and things like that. Putting uh, neutral glass things in front of your lens on cameras, your microphones, encasing them in something, there's a common kind of uh, prophylactic that 
people use on these in professional circumstances to make sure that nothing gets into the microphones. So just pay attention to that. Over the course of time, kitchens are relatively dirty environments, and you want to make sure everything is as protected from that as possible if you want it to last a long time. And Alex, are you actually cooking or just talking in the kitchen? No, we're just going to be having drinks and talking. There's no cooking there. And uh, as far as... As far that's okay. No, you made some good points there. As far as the sound, I mean, I have acoustic treatment everywhere. I've got acoustic panels in the kitchen too, so it's absolutely <laughs> silent, and my fridge isn't that loud. That's great. Yeah, because I was going to say that one thing about kitchens, oftentimes, is, is that they, uh, because you want to be able to clean them, they tend to have a lot of hard surfaces. So it's something that becomes a little bit of a challenge there. The other thing to look at is lots of small lights that you can use to highlight things. The kitchen has lots of crevices, and so a lot of that. What makes it rich when we're there makes it kind of just you, gets lost in the background. And so even if you can't see it very clearly, little lights that kind of pick up some of the details that are that are in the kitchen, I think, would make a big difference. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. It would be, be interesting to see it. Uh, next question. Uh, Vic Sinise in Lowell in Indiana, it looks like. I'm looking to upgrade my camera for streaming. I currently use Canon's HFG10. I'm looking at the Sony ZV-1F. Any thoughts? Currently, the, the, the jury's out on the Z, ZV-1F. There's a lot of people that are excited about it. It's just, it's, this is the new Sony that came out. It's about $2,200, full-frame sensor. Um, there are some reports that it heats up, um, and so that the heat might be... And Sony's had a little bit of a trouble with this in the past. Uh, leaving it on for a long period of time may not be something that it's built for. So, so I think that I would, I would think about... Um, you know, think about that process. I don't think I would buy it yet. I think I'd wait to see how, how it works for folks. Uh, I think that there's, there are other ones that if you're willing to spend a little bit more money, uh, I'm using, I'm on an FX30, Sony FX30, and really happy with that one. Um, the, I think that, and that's a little less expensive. Uh, and also it's a uh, super 35, not a full frame sensor, but still get a pretty good bokeh out of it uh, with a fast, with a fast lens. The, uh, so I think that, um, you know, you can look at that. A lot of us have been still very happy. The reason a lot, some of us have moved to Sony's is because of the autofocus. But um, when I'm doing multi-camera, I would still use the Blackmagic 6Ks because I can I can shade them all. You know, so getting them all shaded together and working together, I think, is still a huge advantage over um, a lot of other things there. It's really tricky to try to match all the cameras when you don't have central shading. So really think about that as you, as you move forward there. Um, of course, you can start spending a little bit more money with the FX3 and the FX6. Those are those are those start to move up. So you just got to decide what your what your price point is. I would not buy anything before NAB. <laughs> so we're seeing the announcements starting to roll out. Uh, we've saw Maxon do announcements. Sony's doing announcements. Other people are doing announcements. I wouldn't. You definitely don't. This is we're definitely in the zone of don't buy any new cameras until you see what what is released at NAB. Next question. Next one comes to us from Peter Belvin in Houston. Could the technique shown here, and he's got a link there to a YouTube video that is about controlling multiple Insta360 link cameras, and he notes an Insta, uh, a single link is shown being pan, tilt, zoom controlled. Yeah, there is control. There's UVC that will let you do basic control over the camera, but it won't let you take full advantage of the camera. So you can, there's definitely UVC controls that will let you um, do some of the link controls. It's just that you don't get you lose a lot of what makes that camera the camera um, by by using the simple UV, UVC controls there. So um, it's definitely doable. Uh, what we really want is a full API that lets us dig into all the features of that camera and expose them out to something that we can control. Um, but it's you know it's a good start. Um, next question. Uh, 
Alexander Knight, British Columbia, Vancouver, here on the panel. My Apple cinema displays are highly reflective and they're very old. I looked into monitor hoods to reduce this issue with my studio lights, but they're expensive. I suppose it's time to replace them. Good, Bill. Yeah, interestingly enough, that at, at its day, it was state-of-the-art, but boy, the art has moved on substantially uh, since then, even to the point where Apple has spent a lot of marketing muscle trying to understand this idea of display reflectivity. Of course, they're making billions of screens for iPhones and iPads and the rest of these kind of things over the course of the last 15 years, and the, the technology has increased so much that I really wouldn't go back to those old cinema displays. Don't get me wrong, I had one for probably 10 years. And I loved the look of it, and it really surprised me when it first came out. But the textured coatings that they're putting on their displays now make them far less uh, reflective. I just think they've moved on, and I think I would suggest you go in the direction of something new if you can. Next question. Douglas Carmichael says, a relative talked about drone photography videography as a marketable skill. The Pilot Institute online course teaches the FAA 107 license, but would this course be good for the photography and video side i think the F, the faa license is just saying you know what the laws are and you're not going to break them <laughs> so, so they're not they're not there's not a photography course there uh i think that the only way to get really good with drone work is to do lots of drone work um so you really have to be ready to spend time there are because this, the the cost of entry is not very high um there's a fair number of people with licenses to you know for the basic faa license and um, a lot of them are doing a fair bit of work. So you want to think about what that niche is. I think it's a, maybe a marketable skill, but I think that the market is pretty saturated. Like, I, you know, I'm not, I don't really, I mean, having the license is uh, table space, table stakes. I can't hire someone without the license. But at the same time, what I'm looking for is a demo reel of all the, of all the things someone's done and the kind of shots. And I'm looking for highly technical shots. I can shoot regular shots. <laughs> so, so I'm looking for highly technical shots going through things, around things, you know, really cinematic views, that type of thing. Go ahead, Bill. We just went out in the marketplace. We have an event coming up, I think, in a month and a half that takes place on the USS Midway, which is docked in San Diego. It has to do with the Girl Scouts. So it's a big charity thing. And they suggested, okay, it's in about two months. Can we fly a drone over it and get an overhead shot? And so I talked to one of my friends who is a licensed drone pilot, and he says, nope, you don't have enough time. If there, there's a couple of classes of these licenses, one is the temporary I'm pulling a permit. And sometimes it takes as much as 90 days uh, to get that waiver if you're going to fly in any kind of controlled airspace. And cities have a lot of controlled airspaces up there. And she said the one thing that you can do is find somebody who has a permanent certification and they maintain their license uh, constantly as opposed to the people who have drones and get waivers for a specific flight if it's not in the middle of nowhere. So we ran into that and had to go back to the client and say, I'm sorry, uh, you either pay this for somebody who does this all the time and maintains the permanent waiver, or if you're going out into the less expensive, more job-by-job -job market, uh, you don't have enough time. you got to go 90 days out or more. Go, Jason. Yeah, the 107 license really just means you know how to read an air map and you, you know the basic rules of, of flight. What it does not mean is that you know anything about drone cinematography, which is its own completely separate course. A good friend of mine runs one of these at uh, DroneU.com. Uh, there are a lot of places you can get this, but no, the FAA by itself won't teach you how to shoot. Yeah, and and you know one of the things that I think uh, I've seen some people get into that has been 
not necessarily profitable, but a great way to practice is they get the license and they do a lot of real estate. And so they do a lot of real estate flyovers of, you know, more expensive houses and even inside the houses with some of the more protected um, pieces there. It's kind of a constant business, doesn't pay very well, but you get, a, you get paid to do, get a lot of practice. You put a lot of flight hours in and you get used to how your drone works and so on and so forth. And you can build cinematic shots, you know, of, of, of someone's house. And so those are, they're, they went from being something that was really special to uh, any house, I, I, just about every house I see now over about $1.5 to $2 million, which in California is pretty common, uh, has some kind of drone shot related to it. So it's it's um, because they're, they're really trying, that's kind of gives people a sense of it, so to speak. Uh, next question. Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado says, what are the audio abilities of the USDZ format? Go ahead, Jason. None that I'm aware of. Yeah, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can save USDZ. Uh, um, I don't know if you can save um, a USDZ software in there. I think it. It. Yeah, I don't think that there's an. I don't think the format has any audio component. Now, a lot of tools have that. So, if you're in a gaming application, and I think even if you're in some of Apple's um, formats you can save out a project file that knows where those objects are and then and then emits their effects you know in in surround and so on and so forth or immersive so it knows where they are in relationship to the to the person that's in them um, but i don't think that the the format itself carries uh, any audio next question steve podmore in london says my 2019 16 inch 2.4 gigahertz 8 core intel core i9 mac crashes every time I plug my A10 Mini Pro ISO via HDMI into USB 3. He's running Ventura 13.3. Any ideas? Hmm. Go ahead, Jason. Wait, via HDMI into USB 3? I don't think that's the way that it's supposed yeah, to it's go. Yeah, to so use it. I think that yeah. it's, uh, I think it crashes every time. I think what he's doing, I mean, I don't know for sure. I think what he's doing is doing an uh, HDMI output from one of the USB 3s into the, you know, in into the switcher so that he can use it as a as a monitor. Um, I think that's the that's what he's working on there. Uh, but I don't think that, um, like I have one of my outputs from my Mac Studio is a, um, one of my outputs from the Mac Studio is is the, is a USB to HDMI to one of the inputs on my switcher so that I can, you know, so that I can show things if I want to um, from the system. So I think that that's what he may be talking about. Um, and I, uh, yeah, go ahead, Bill. Well, I just wanted to double down on what Chris Fenwick brought up when we were trying to diagnose my audio versus video delay. Everything affects everything. So, um, to try to figure out, is it a one thing in a complex system like you're trying to do with complex patching? Uh, in my case, it turned out that I was just too close to the top end of memory utilization and that stopping the processing of a couple of things in the background, particularly my notepads, gave it enough headroom to run successfully without that sync delay being a major issue. Now, at first I thought, well, it's because of the app that I was running Notepad. But then I had one little instance where I hadn't shut down some other programs before the show and sure enough, that memory got full again, and I had a few more minor problems with sync. So 
even what I thought it was when we diagnosed it, it wasn't so much the specific thing that I was running. It was how it was interacting with everything on my computer. And I would just say that, Steve, to, to go through this and figure out what's really causing it, you really want to do a, an, a wholesale look through your entire system and see with as many testing things as you can, activity monitor and other things if you're on a Mac, um, to figure out what's the whole profile of the machine running. And it might be crashing because of something like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, interesting puzzle there. Uh, quick reminder again that uh, this is a great time to ask questions. So we're uh, if you have any questions for the first hour, and especially if you have questions for the second hour, go ahead and throw those in and make sure to vote on those questions so we know what order you'd like to hear them. Uh, next question. Vic Hernandez, Springfield, Missouri, looking to familiarize myself with 3D printing. Any recommendations for a 3D printer with a $300 US cap? You know, I think that the Prusa as as well as the 3D Ender are probably good ones under 300. I think Prusa makes one that is uh, that is under $300, I believe. Uh, and uh, the other one that we see a lot is the Ender um, is the is the other one that, we, that is most people I know who are doing stuff under $300 are using. Go ahead, Jason. Those are solid choices. Has anyone ever tried mono prices? I haven't, but I've looked at it more than once. Haven't tried it. Yeah, the uh, Creality, by the way, is the is one that makes the Ender. Um, both of those are kind of open printers, and so they don't have any enclosure. Uh, I I have a, a Quiddy Q I D I, which I'm really happy with, but it was a, a bit more. It was probably eight hundred dollars, not a three hundred dollar unit. Um, and uh, I just I have a cat, <laughs> so so yeah, I don't think that I think that the cat would you know. So if you have cats, I I don't know if I would necessarily leave it on open ended uh, printer. So think think about the enclosure as well. Um, so, uh, and, and all of these are going to be PLA, so they're not, you know, they're not going to be, um, there's a couple other, there's a couple, you want to look at those, uh, and probably, it's probably time for us to have another discussion about 3D printers as a second hour. So we'll, we'll, someone should put that into the suggestions and we'll set, try to get that in there. So, because it's, a lot of it has moved a lot since the last time we talked about it. Uh, next question. Rob Harris Sr. in St. Paul, Minnesota is up next. Maybe also for the $1,000 studio discussion, $1,000 studio discussion. What's a good, reasonably priced in-ear monitor? Looking for comfort for small ear canals. My in-ears hurt even when using the smallest tips. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, I, I actually don't think that the ones that I have would necessarily be the, the best solution there. Uh, the, um, I, because mine are, are uh, I have um, the, the one of the linsoles, <laughs> linsoles the distributor anyway, the SC tens, and I don't think that they would necessarily be great for a really small canal. Uh, go ahead, Bill. Well, the other option, and I don't know if there are a lot of them out there, but these security monitors that are reasonably high end, they cost like 150 bucks up. The tips in there are Microsoft. I lost you, Bill. Oh, oh, these are bubble bees and things like that. Sorry about that. Um, those little tiny tips are so small that they really don't cause that same kind of discomfort. I did notice after using these daily for three or four or five months, I would get a little irritation and I just had to make sure they were scrupulously clean. So just make sure you take care of your ear hygiene, whatever you're using to stick in your ears if you do it every day. Go ahead, Alex. Well, to find reasonably priced, they're on sale right now. The ones that I would recommend are the Weststone Audio X30s. They're on sale at B&H for $279. Good, Nigel. Yeah, the N-Airs, uh, which are like the ones that Bill was talking about, I don't think they're this. I think these are a lower price brand, but they're about 150 and they are very small. Yeah, and the, the linsoles that I, that I have are not 
super small. They're, they're small, but they're not super small. Um, they're off $50, and that's what I use for the show every day, and they seem to work out pretty well for me. Uh, you can look at, at audio implements. Audio implements is, they're kind of the standard for IFBs. Um, so they are, I think they're out of Wisconsin, and you, you feel like you're calling the CIA because they don't give you any information. They're like, what do you, you know, like, hello? And you're like, I would like a 128 and a 135. And they're like, do you need that today? And you're like, yes. And then, then they, they send it to you. So, but uh, they may have gotten better. But when we ordered, we've ordered hundreds of them. This is what every broadcaster uses. And what they do is they come with a little set of earpieces and some of those earpieces get super small. And I know that we've had to, for a handful of, of talent with really small ear canals, we've had to use those specific ones. And they are about, they're, they're, they're hard coated, they're not soft, and they just, but they're, they're um, maybe a couple uh, millimeters thick and they just, they'll, they'll, they'll go in and there's been a handful of people that have needed those. So you might want to take a look at that as well. Uh, another thing to do, again, if you are, uh, it may not be as inexperienced. I mean, I, I mean, um, cheap, but you can also get a, 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 you know, we talked about it in earlier this week, uh, or maybe last week. Uh, you can get an in-ear mold. So if you're really having trouble getting it to fit, it may be more expensive, but you could have a mold of your ear that's going to match your ear. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, and Alex, does uh, audio implements do they make ones that are high fidelity but are, are very no. discreet? No. No, it's not high fidelity. It's, it's really designed just to hear other people talking. Yeah, absolutely. Next question. Joe Andrews in Lebanon, Oregon. Any recommendations for live Q&A platforms for in-person classroom-style presentations? Currently using Slido.com and pr uh, printing full-sheet Q&R codes for the audience to scan and contribute. It works, but are there any other options the panel recommends? You know, Slido is probably the one that's the most popular right now. I mean, I think it's pretty limited, but it's what it, you know, it's what's out there. I don't know of a lot of other Q&A, standalone Q&A platforms. I'm actually using, uh, it's funny, Mukana, which you're, you typed into here, <laughs> is something that we developed. The first use of it was actually for in-room in um, experiences. And I'm actually going to be using it at NAB uh, to, from all of my conference, you know, I'm speaking like six times in, in, uh, at NAB and I'm going to put it up on the, on the screen. So I'll let you know how it goes. I have, we haven't used it that way for a long time, but I've decided since I'm speaking, I'm going to test it. So in the room, I'm just going to say, Hey, here's the QR code, pick it up and you can, you can start to, you know, um, chat and ask questions and we're going to see how that goes. So I'll let you know how, how that works. We haven't used it for in room for a long time, but uh, we're going to give it a shot. Uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. Jason mentioned that an Apple Silicon Mac would deliver lower audio latencies than an Intel Mac. In a live environment, especially with a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air, wouldn't overheating be a real risk, especially in a club or for festival kind of settings? Go, Jason. I've been on stage for a thousand of these, and I understand why you would think that, but it's really not the case. So you'll never see a DJ uh, on stage with a laptop without a massive piece of aluminum like this. And this really f serves as a huge heat sink and, and really channels heat away. Um, so no, I, I have never seen it be an issue. Next question. Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia. What's the deal with autofocus lens drive specs? When it claims fast 240 frames per second for autofocus, how exactly does that work? Can you explain what you're what, what you're talking about specifically, Alex? Well, I, that Panasonic lens I was looking at earlier, it said that it has a fast drive motor and it quoted 240 frames per second. I'm not sure how that works with autofocus, though. Well, I mean, a lot of it has to do with just how fast it can. It, what it, what they're trying to talk about is the fact that you know it, it's making a decision about whether it's in focus. 
and at 240 frames, it's making that, you know, what you, what you want to think about there is that you have, if you think about if you're shooting 30 frames a second, you've got these, these 30 frames a second. And what it's saying is it's making a decision um, eight times between every frame about whether you're in focus, right? So it's it has all these subsamples. So by over it's oversampling. So if it if it made that decision at thirty frames a second or at sixty frames a second, then it would. The problem is is that you'd see it going in and out of focus. It has to oversample that. Now whether that's marketing or not, it does have to do that. I mean, all autofocus has to over. Not all of them, but it definitely is much more efficient if it if it's doing it. Like for instance. I'm not sure that the black magic does it any faster than the frame rate that it's shooting at. So when you push it, you'll see it kind of go in and out and and do its thing. Um, but when when for the for the more advanced autofocus, you are going to see this oversampling that happens. And oversampling is something we use in motion capture. It's something we use in a lot of other things because it, 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 it any kind of errata. So if you if again if you think about if you're only sampling here, if something is you know uh, you know going in and out, it can it can blend what it sees for every frame because the errata can be averaged out because it has more more data to manage. So I think that the the 240 frames is, is great. Um, you know, I think that, that makes a big difference to oversample the video. Uh, next question. Aaron Jen Corelli in Flagstaff, Arizona says, slow to MIMO live. Is there after hours training happening or already recorded for this software? Uh, we are going to do some more stuff after NAB. So we're kind of focused on NAB at the moment, but uh, after NAB, we're gonna do some more work. We in the early days of office hours, we actually had everybody get a, you know, they were able to get a version of it that lasted for, I think, 90 days. And we may do something like that. I don't know if it'll be 90 days, but it'll be something where a lot of us can use it for a little while. And uh, and then I think Oliver's going to come in and work with folks on it. And so we can, we can all kind of learn a little bit together. So stay tuned for that. Uh, next question. Jack Rupel, uh, Breckenridge, Colorado. Camera 360 link, Hero 10 Black, iPhone with A10 Mini Pro, YouTube and Zoom 1, Face Cam 1, Document Cam 1, Overview Cam. Which would you use where? And he also has Apple TV and Stream Deck Plus. So many. <laughs> so many options here. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, uh, again, the, the um, if you have the A10 Mini, you have to decide what are the four things that you would do. I think a lot of times what we're, you know, I don't know if you need an overhead cam and a document cam, um, but uh, but what I would do is is definitely look at, uh, you, you want one camera on yourself. Uh, you want one camera usually coming from your computer so that you can output a computer output that you can cut to. Um, then you want another camera that potentially is an overhead that's a close-up to to show what you're showing there. Those are the big three. And now I save another one so that I can do this. <laughs> you know, so 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 I have one input that I want to have so that I can do a Telestrator input, whether that's you know whatever software you're using. You want something you can key over top of that. So those are the th those are the, that's how I would use up four. I have to admit that I've been using Extreme for a while, so I'm used to a couple more inputs. But when I when I was using four. Mostly, that's that's how I approach that. Next question. Morgan Price, Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, last minute question. Any recommendations for a small leveling plate to mount under a 12-inch teleprompter? I'd like to use something other than a large fluid head, and I'm mounting to a stand, not a tripod. Should be less than 20 pounds with camera, lens, and everything else. Go ahead, Jason. Just so I understand this, is this about leveling the the, the teleprompter or leveling the camera? Do you have any idea? I think it's leveling the camera. Well, with the teleprompter, right? It's, it, he, okay, they, so yeah, you can do it either way, I suppose. Um, as far as leveling the teleprompter, I've always done that on rails and that's gonna break your weight limit. Um, 
generally I have what what looks like a Z plate that expands up like this, you know, along three axes, and it, it just it goes into a normal uh, quarter 20 and it allows me to move the camera ever so slightly on and off axis. Maybe Bill has a better idea. Go Bill. Well, I was just saying you can get uh, a 75 millimeter ball head adapter that goes on what's called a hi-hat. Hi-hat are those really small tripods. They, they can be as small as five or six inches over something. So if you put a 75 millimeter ball head, the smaller the two, they, ball heads usually come in 75 and 100 millimeter. You could probably get something low on a desktop and still have the ability to loosen, straighten up, and lock down your camera teleprompter rig. And that would probably work. Maybe look at Markitech and some of those other uh, companies like that. Yeah, depending on on how big you need it to be, this is a. Um, uh, let's see if I can put this up here. This is a, a Benro, and what this does is it you can you can move it around. Now this piece on the top is a quick release, so this is not part of the part of the tripod. It's just in fact I can probably take it. I don't know if I can take it off and <laughs> quickly. Anyway, so um, so this this piece down this piece down below here is on a ball, and it just will simply move around like this. So you can kind of you can't do it all the way but you can get you know quite a few degrees now what i have up here is a this is a quick release so that i can just drop the camera onto it and it'll just snap in without me having to tighten anything so um so if i have it let's see if i have it oh, i just loosened it up here um nah, i'm not gonna be able to do it live <laughs> so anyway oh here we go so so what i have here just so you can see this this here so um let me get my eyes out of the way there so this is a little receiver that has these little ball joints here. So I can take, this is attached to my camera. You can see that it, it goes in here. And then basically I can um, just snap it in and it, it will, except when I'm live, and it'll just, <laughs> just open it up for a receive. Anyway, so it, usually it works, except when I'm doing, so I'm trying to do this live. Um, so, uh, but but and now, I, now I can pull it off. Hold on, let me. So this is the actual piece that we're looking at here. So this is the, this is just the, the, uh, um, piece that there that, that might work for you. Um, there's a couple of these. They're not. They're um, two or three hundred dollars to get a good one, uh, but but they do work. A hi hat to what Bill said. And what you're looking for is a receiver. So you can also get just a head, and you're looking for a hundred millimeter or seventy five millimeter receiver that you can attach to almost anything. A hi hat is one of the uh, options. Go ahead, Jason. I found it. If you look on Amazon for the Universal Flex Tilt Head Z-Mount Bracket Arca Swiss Tripod Quick Head Release, they're clearly just <laughs> searching for, you know, whatever you're going to be whatever you're going to be going in. Uh VIKII is the name of the manufacturer or at least uh, the Amazon seller. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. And then you didn't say how you were going to mount all this, so that if you're mounting it on a desk, I'll show you what I've done. And that is Right here, I use that plate that's on your right, and I mount a glide gear uh, teleprompter on that. It's an 11-inch uh, monitor, the lily put monitor, and a Blackmagic 6K camera on that plate, and it holds up just fine. Next question. Next one comes to us from Douglas Carmichael, and Douglas asks, Alex, you said you predict once the fire dies down that Waves will be going back to the subscription-first model. If your studio was based around the SoundGrid platform, would you be looking to migrate to a network platform not locked to a single vendor? Well, I, 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 again, I, I think that 
over time, Waves will try to move to a subscription model. I don't think they're going to try to move anybody that's already there. I think that what they learned was trying to move the people that were existing was probably a bad idea. But having new purchases, I think right now they're going to give you both options. And then I think what's going to happen is you can't get a new one. You can keep on, they're going to, I don't. I think that they were very surprised at what happened, <laughs> and so I think that they uh, they backed away and tried to put the fire out as fast as they could. The subscription is good for some people; it's not good for everybody. Definitely not good for people who are complaining. So, so I think that what they're going to do is they're going to back away. They're not going to do anything for a little while. They're just going to let the dust settle. But I think that then there's going to be some point where they announce that hey, if you're an already existing user, you can keep on upgrading. We're going to keep on supporting that. Nothing's going nothing's to change in your world. If you want to buy new licenses, they're all going to be in subscription. You know, they're not doing that right now, but I think that's what they're going to do. And that way they can slowly migrate people to new, new versions and keep the folks with the current versions from, you know, pulling out the pitchforks. Uh, next question. Can't hear you, Bill. Oh, we lost Bill, I think. Um, Bill is Bill is uh, frozen. <laughs> there we go. Oh, there he is. Oh, He's back. Oh, okay. Douglas Carmichael. Jason, I recognize the 12 South stand you were holding. Would the Curve Flex be as beneficial as the older model you have? How stable would it be? And he's got a link there to the 12 South Curve Flex. Good, Jason. So as far as beneficial is concerned, no. I mean, it, the 12 South stand is designed to look exceptionally pretty and lift the MacBook extremely high. It's not going to have the same thermodynamics. But again, if, w with respect to audio, I, I think you're, you're worried about something that, that doesn't truly exist on the M1. It is a different class of, of device, and it's just not going to cause this issue. Yeah, and and the one that that I use um, is made by. Let's see if it's made by. It, uh, I always want to call it say broken, uh, broken uh, is is the is the name of it, but it's a B R O C O O N broken, um, and it is a it folds up really nicely. And so does I think so does the uh, twelve South, but the that one we we buy them for a lot of them. And it folds up into almost nothing. And I can put it in my lap, in my backpack, and I'm, it's been it's been pretty successful for me. Uh, so we, we buy a lot of those as well. Oh, good, Bill. Yeah, I have one. The one that I use every day here on the show is from Rain Designs. Whoops, it didn't come up. So there may be that, that maybe some video thing. Uh, Rain Design Level Two Stand. It's fifty four bucks. It's not that expensive. The thing I like about it is it has a little slider on the front, and you can tilt it at different directions. When I'm here at my desk, I have a fixed angle but often i take that out on the field with me for the thermal properties of coupling the back of my laptop with uh, a heat sink just as jason suggests and i like the fact that if i'm at a standing desk or something like that working in the field i can change that angle and it's really useful so for 50 bucks it's worth it it's great we're not going to change the subjects to our second hour and talk about the thousand dollar studio uh, you know a lot of people when we, when we said this is they say like well we really need a Ten thousand dollars studio. We're like, we we can do things for a thousand dollars. We can do things for a small amount. And you may not find that this is a this is also when we talk about this discussion, um, you may find that there are bits and pieces of this that are interesting. So we're going to talk about cost effective parts of the model. Now, one thing I want to lay down as a ground rule is that we're not going to calculate the the cost of the computer. 
<laughs> so we're going to assume that you have a laptop, that you have a, a Mac mini or a PC or something like that. We're going to assume that that is there um, because otherwise this, you know, you'd use up most of it just to have that. Now, when we, we you know, we, we can talk about other things when we get to the larger studios. And again, this is the beginning of a discussion so that we're going to start with $1,000. I think the next one is going to be $10,000. Next one's $25,000. Next one's probably $50,000. We'll probably do these about once a month or once every six to eight weeks. And we're trying to figure that out. It depends on how popular this one is today. <laughs> so if you ask a lot of questions, then we'll do them every month. If you don't ask any questions, we'll do them once a year. <laughs> so, so anyway, so so uh, so it's up to you uh, as the as the uh, as the producers to decide how we do this, and and as the as the panelists. But um, anyway, the uh, I think that you know what we want to do is is really look at what do we really need that really bumps this this up. And one of the things that when people ask me, you know, what the you know what are the hierarchies that I that I pay attention to, you know, the first one is internet connection. Like I want an ethernet cable to someone's, you know, connection uh, that is at least 10 megs a second. So that if we're doing this thing, this type of thing, the second thing I want to worry about is audio. I want to worry about what is the sound of their audio and that's audio treatment as well as an audio mic. Sometimes the mic is there to get rid of a lot of that. The next one is actually lighting. People will think it's camera, but you can make up for a lot of bad cameras with good lighting. So how do we manage that lighting? The next one is camera. And the final one is what's behind people. You know, and so those are the things that that's like the hierarchy of uh, of needs that I think that a lot of times I'm trying to solve. So we can talk through those, you know, what we how we solve some of those needs and how we do it as effectively as possible and cost effectively as possible because we don't have a lot of money to spend. Yeah, go ahead, John. Uh, after I read my list, you might as well just end the show because I have the perfect one thousand dollars for you. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> Lay it on us. Insta three sixty, three hundred bucks. High LPR forty. 300, you can find them on the used market for 300 bucks. Interface Yamaha AG3 has enough gain to drive the Heil PR40 and three lights, $200, right at a thousand bucks. There you go. All right, Jason. Well, I mean, I guess I, I don't even know what we're going to spend the next 59 minutes on, but it just. <laughs> well, John just answered it. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's well, over. There we, it is. We're, we're, Great. Thanks, Way everybody. Welcome. The thanks. Lead. Tomorrow we'll talk about education. Uh, yeah, go, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Jason. <laughs> um, so conceptually, I, I feel like this is really a wrestle for audio. Um, I think I think it's safe to assume that most computers have a webcam. And if you're going to save money, Alex is absolutely right. If you light a bad camera, you're going to end up with a better image than if you try to clean up a bad mic. I mean, that's that's just straight up always the case. And audio, more importantly, matters more than video. So to that end, the, the way I see any studio that, you know, if we try a $1,200 studio and we end up with issues, you drop the camera and you just, you know, you put a big floodlight in there and then see what you can get away with with respect to audio. You go, Tom. Well, John did a pretty good job, but uh, I don't know that the high LPR 40 makes a good handheld microphone. So we've got other considerations to throw in. We've got to think about what we're going to use for mic stands, earphones. Uh, there's, there's more to this. So I'm sure we've still got a little bit of the hour to fill in. Yeah, and I think it depends on, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, thinking through uh, – you know, w when you talk about lights, um, these these kinds of things can you know lights can add up to a lot. They can they can start to really push your um, push your budget a fair bit, uh, and it, it it depends on how fluid and how flexible you a lot of times you want these to be. So um, I guess the 
you know, for me, uh, and I don't know if this is the final version, I would, I, we have really leaned into the MV7s, uh, the, the Shure MV7s, mostly because they don't require any kind of interface. You know, they're just a USB in. If I want to add an interface, I can. So those MV7s have become pretty useful for us, and they're relatively simple. Now, we are looking at some of the roads and some of the other things that are at $250. If it's my home studio, because some of this is also what do we send out to other people. If we're sending something out, we want an MV7 because it's simple. It's, easy, it's hard to fix. We are looking at some of the, like the road solution and some of the other bits and pieces um, for a, you know, uh, to give us more control, you know, in, inside of that process. Um, so that's another thing. I, I will say we're still pretty happy with the Insta360s. Uh, the Insta360 um links, although we're looking at the OBSBOT specifically because of the OSC control. Go ahead, Alexander. Yeah, I was just going to give my recommendation for under $1,000. So like starting with the audio stuff, the I was just looking at this today. I guess I have to quote US dollars because a lot of people here are in the US. The Lewitt Connect 6 is a two mic preamp audio interface with over 70 dB of gain with onboard processing. So if you're gonna use a low output dynamic mic, that's a good starter. Uh, and then you can get a Shure MV7X for under $200, under $200. That's the XLR version only of that microphone. Um, you can get a pair of closed back headphones for about a hundred bucks. And then by the time you add uh, Insta360 Link and uh, you know, like a Godox, uh, 260C bicolor LED panel, which is about $90 US, um, and then mic stand miscellaneous cables. You should be able to get that just a hair under $1,000. Can you repeat that interface? I'm not familiar with it. This is the so L-E-W-I-T-T. They're known for microphones. They came oh, out Lewitt. with... Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah Lewitt. Lewitt. Yeah. And you said this it's This is X. the Connect, Connect 6 interface. Um, connect six. Oh, okay, got it. And it's three, about three hundred dollars. Well, three hundred bucks U.S. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't. I am um, have not used that. And, and you, uh, you've used that a lot. I have tested it, and uh, it sounds really nice. And the app control is really great. It's got built-in loopback as well, so you got all your routing. You can uh, you can live stream with it as well. And uh, it's yeah, it's pretty solid. Yeah, it ahead, looks Bill. weird though. Yeah, it does look weird. <laughs> go ahead, Bill. Um, I, I think that the first thing you got to do, if you're really trying to save money, is think about what you already have. You may not have a lot of things, but you may have some things that could be useful. For example, if you're in the Mac ecosystem and you have a laptop and a phone, you also could consider doing the phone as your camera. The Apple announced a way to do that through a thing called continuity camera. Then your biggest challenge is getting audio in. And both Alex and I have looked at the ceremonics unit, which will take a lightning connector out allow an XLR mic into the ceremonic unit and feed that via lightning into your system for broadcast. So that would allow you to use an inexpensive dynamic mic or even a mic that requires phantom power, one of the condensers that are out there to up your audio game and would be a pretty simple thing, leaving you more room to deal with things like small LED lighting panels that you could use to get three-point lighting done to make yourself look better in circumstances and the other miscellaneous tripods and things like that. So I just suggest take a look at what you do have already before you say, I have to buy every single piece of this. It's just another approach. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. We haven't talked specifically about lighting yet, and uh, I use the Nanlite 2-6Cs. Uh, they're about $90 a piece. 
Yeah, yeah, those are, um, and I have a lot of those. <laughs> so we have, we, we, we use them for a lot of our smaller kits. These are the, the Nanlite, um, uh, you said the lint, well, were there six, I'm using the 6C, is that what you're talking, you're using two of those? Is that what you said? Yeah. And, oh, can't hear you, Tom. Can't hear you, Tom. Oops, it's the Nanlite 2 6C. Two, Nanlite 2, it's, it's the second a, version? Um, it's got a double I, yeah, after it. Oh, 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 6C2 or 6CII or whatever. Yeah, um, or whatever. Yeah, 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 got it. So, um, yeah, and so I think that those, I, I have the originals and we've used them a lot. Um, I use, that's what I use on the road and they aren't very expensive and they and they make a lot of different ones. Nanlite makes a lot of different lengths um, that are there, but the, the those fit in, I, I fit them into a, uh, um, I, they, they're magnetic and so you can stack them together. And so I'll snap four of them into my, uh, uh, four of them together and it does look like a bunch of sticks of dynamite in my bag. So I think I get, I get people look at it pretty often, but it, but it's, it's sitting in there and I can throw it into my bag and, and then I have some lighting for the background as well as lighting for me. So I'll usually have two of them for me and then two of them for my background. Uh, so those are, you know, they, they've been pretty efficient, uh, related to that. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, I will say that what we focus on when people ask us, and Tom's going to show how these snap together, I think, or, or you're just going to show one of them or two of them. You got two, one, yeah. That's what the that's what the succeed looks like. Um, uh, I will say that, uh, you know, Alex is posting, posted in, in the back end here, and maybe we can get those some of those up forward as well. Um, the For the mics, if you're looking at what to mount the mic on, I do think that, that from a cost-effective perspective, the Elgato low-profile mic, is boom is a is a good one we we use that in the office um and so the it's a low profile it's kind of like the one i have here this one's a lot more expensive <laughs> so uh but but this one here is um this is i'm using the eb the uh, um oc white version of of this low profile and this one will fit into the next version of the studio that we talk about but not this one um and so um but the what with the low profile doesn't have quite as much dexterity as the one that i'm using but it definitely works well um, and so, and it just attaches to to a desk. I, I will say there are some things when you're thinking about the studio, and especially if you're thinking about saving money, is the thing that makes the most difference in your studio is your audio quality. So, so you just really want to, if you're going to spend money um, for a little bit of money, spend it on getting a good mic. Uh, and again, the MV7 I think is a pretty solid mic um, to make that happen. The um, the um, and then make sure that it's easy to move around. So when you have a mic that is on a table stand, so like getting something, it's worth, you might go, well, it's $100 instead of 12 to get the mic, the, an, a mic arm. But having a mic arm means you can move it around. You can, you can get it to exactly where it belongs and you're not kind of leaning in and, you know, having, uh, you know, some, some not, not good um, setups for you. So, so I think that it's really important if you can to have that flexible mic movement. I'm not a big fan of, of um, high, you know, the regular mic stand that comes down, you know, most of us have moved to low low profile mic stands. So you have a standard mic stand, which is a lot less expensive, kind of comes up and you'll see it coming down next to somebody and it's now covering this up and it means that it's harder for you to see your monitors and there's a whole bunch of things about it that doesn't, doesn't work. <laughs> so so what we what we a lot of us provide is some, prefer is some version of a low profile. Again, the stand works okay, except you got to figure out where on your desk you're going to set it and you're also going to get a lot of um, you know desk noise. One of the other tricks that I do with the low profile is my my low profile is connected to a desk that's sitting next to me, so it's not the desk that is that I'm on. So I can hit my desk all the, all day long, and you're not going to hear any thumps. Um, it's also in a in a shock mount, so you're not going to hear anything through through that. So that's another thing to kind of consider. There, go ahead, Jason. 
Um, I just wanted to show that a little bit more plainly. Like, so this kind of a mic that 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 will let you to move stuff uh, over is so much better than a scissor that yeah. it's kind of hard to understate. And the Elgato, I'm totally with you, Alex. Is um, for a long time, I I, I really liked the Heil scissor and. Mm -hmm. Until it just started to annoy me. Until I realized that there was an alternative, and I, until I found the the OC White. Yeah, yeah. good, uh, Alex. Yeah, there's a few other interfaces that are a little bit less than the uh, Lewitt Connect Six that I mentioned too. So if you're on a, a bit of a tighter budget, the Audient ID Four is an excellent sounding mic preamp single channel interface, and also the new Universal Audio Volt One. I'll post links there. Those are good options. Yeah, it's great. And and again, at, at the $1,000 range, I would probably still lean towards, once I go over that, I'm going to lean towards an audio interface. Under that, I would really think hard about getting a mic. The, the one thing when you buy the mic is that you want to think about a USB connection as well as an XLR connection, because that gives you upward mobility. So if you buy something that has only USB, you're stuck with that forever. If you buy one with a USB and XLR, like, and again, that's why we use the MV7, is that is that that gives us the ability to we can it's really easy to plug in I don't need another interface or I have an XLR I can plug it into something into a larger mixer and make that work as well and um, and so that is something to kind of consider as you as you go down that path um, and so but do think about when we get less expensive interfaces uh, a lot of times the other thing we're giving up is the preamp you know so the preamp isn't isn't quite as as strong but I would definitely budget when you're thinking about your kit i would definitely budget up to three hundred dollars for your mic and up to three hundred dollars for your camera <laughs> you know, like so so that you really those are the two two things that i would fix the first under a thousand dollars and then i would um then again these lights there's a lot of led lights that can the godox the um the newer lights are all in this range um if you're ready to spend a little bit more money what what i use in kits a lot are those six c's when they need to be small uh Nanlite also makes some Luma pads. And then as I get larger, I look at the 68Bs. Now, we, we have a lot of 68Bs that we use. Um, and they're a little bit more expensive. They're $250 per light. So that's going to start to get more expensive there. But it, it definitely makes a big difference. Go ahead, uh, Alex. I was just going to say a recent discovery from my test, because I know a lot of people seem to be having problems uh, with uh, plosives talking very closely on the MV7. The Sure makes a, what they call the pop, larger close talk pop filter for the SM7B, which is, I'm posting a link here, the part number is A7WS. I tested it this week and it does fit on the MV7 snugly, so it's much, much thicker. So if you're having plosives, plosive issues and you need to have that mic close to you, try that. The other thing that you can get for about 14 or maybe $11 now is this pop filter. This pop filter is actually um, designed for the MV7. Um, and so it actually attaches to the little arm that is at the bottom of the MV7. And we're now going to start, we're testing these and uh, you'll see it today. <laughs> we put them on both the mics to get rid of it. And uh, it, it's worked really well so far. And so we're probably going to attach these to all of our mics, all of our MV7s where you have the pad and then you have this just in front of it um, and um, it, it, it'll eliminate me having to filter out all those pops uh, later. So um, so I think that that's, um, that that's also, but a pop filter makes it, does make a difference uh, as you go through it. The other thing to look at that we're not gonna talk about too much today, but another thing to think about is that, you know, for me, I have a grid that sits above me and that may not fit into your $1,000 thing, but it doesn't have to be much more than that. 
Um, I'm, you know, I'm using make what's called maker pipe, which is the maker pipe is a small fittings that you buy that you can just use with EMT rail. And so the EMT rail isn't very expensive. So you, you might be a couple hundred dollars into it before you have like being able to build a whole little grid that hangs down. Like for instance, the lighting that I have here is not a, um, I might have it easy to find here, but the lighting that I have here is not, um, it's not the direct lighting. I, I built a little diffuser that's about five feet by, <laughs> it's about five feet by three feet um, that's there with maker pipe and about $10 worth of diffusion cloth. So it's not something that I spent a lot of, you know, you could, I could have tried to buy a big light, but I've got a couple smaller lights behind it, just kind of filling it out. So I've got a nice big um, diffuse uh, back um, uh, lighting that is something. So you can also think about how to do that again without spending an incredible amount of money. Um, there's there's a lot of ways for you to, um, you know, kind of uh, figure that out. And I'm trying to see if I can load that up real quickly. Um, anyway, so so think about you know ways to use that. The, again, things like maker pipe allow you to build a little bit of a rig. I hang from that maker pipe. I also hang. Um, I've got maybe a hundred dollars worth of moving blankets. <laughs> so I bought them. They're 90 pound moving blankets and they all hang from here. So again, this may not be the thing you put in your living room. Um, but at the same time, you, you this might be also something that if you're really trying to build a studio and you want it to look normal from one direction and you're not worried about what it looks like in the other direction, um, then then you may find that this is a, a, you know, a, worthy, a worthy thing to you know, kind of consider. Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. First one comes from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. Suggestions for 1K Studio Mike, and he's looking at the Samson Go Mic on the, an Amazon boom arm with an SM81 windscreen. And he notes all of that is less than $50, and he wonders if anybody can suggest better quality for the cost. I Go ahead, Alexander. You know, I remember a few months back, Guy came into the show with one of those USB, uh, the Samson Go Mics, and it's when you get it close to your mouth, it actually sounds pretty decent for the money. Yeah, I think it. I think it sounds okay. I think that the, the I I def, I did. I think we got one, and I was testing it, and it it tends to top out a little bit, and it's really um, it it's very sensitive to plosives, you know. So so it was it was definitely something that um, I think I have it sitting around here somewhere. I, I I you know I had this dream that I was going to take send them back after I tested them, and I never did. So anyway, so they're all sitting here somewhere. Um, so, but the, uh, I was, I thought it was okay. I thought that it was, it, it was, it, it tended to overmodulate on in, in not a nice way. <laughs> so if it got too much uh, uh, pressure, it was, it, you could hear it. It, it also, I, you know, I think that when you speak very clearly and carefully, it sounded really good. And I think Guy has a, a very specific, you know, very methodical way of, of delivering. Um, and so I think that it worked for him. I do think that again, what we're always looking for is mics that can be a little bit more um, uh, flexible, you know, so that you're not thinking about it. The the goal part of when you're building these studios is part of it is to make it sound great or look great, and you can make a lot of things sound good or look good, but you also want to take into account not having to think about it, you know, that that it's just going to work, it's just going to do the thing that it needs to do. And I think that as we get into a lot of the mics that are below a hundred dollars, and you can, there's plenty of mics that are below a hundred dollars that that could that can produce a great sound you need to pay a lot more attention as a user to the technique. The reason we don't send those out is because of it. Now, if you're willing to put the time in, um, then you can get a good sound out of it. You do need to be able to hear yourself. And the thing that I worry about is it creates two minds. I, 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 a lot of times I talk about, you know, two minds as a, when you're on air, you want to do as little 
thinking as possible. <laughs> like you don't want to be thinking about anything other than the content. So a lot of what I think about as I as I refine my 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 studio is I really try to think about how do I have something. The reason I switched to a Sony camera instead of the Black Magic camera that I've used for a couple of years was because I found myself leaning forward and back trying to make sure I was in focus. I wanted the short depth of the field, but I also wanted to stay in focus and the Sony took that away. Like I now just am in focus. <laughs> it doesn't matter where I go. Um, and so that meant that I didn't have two minds to make that actually work. Go ahead, Alex. I don't know if the budget was $50 for the microphone in total. If you're willing to spend a little bit more, I'm actually really impressed with the SE Electronics Neom USB mic. I've mentioned it a couple times before, but it's not getting a lot of attention. And I don't know any, I don't think there's anyone on the panel that is using one, but uh, it has a very, very nice sounding mic capsule in there. They put a very high quality one in there, and it also has a very high res. Uh, analog to digital converter, it'll do all the way up to 192 um, kilobits per second um, sample rate there. So it'll do a very, very high res conversion if you're going to say you want to record some music, not that you really need to go that high, but it just as a uh, spoken word microphone, it sounds phenomenal. And I will say if you're buying a less expensive microphone, I would highly recommend uh, buying them from Amazon. And the reason I'm saying that, I know that you'll think that, you, but you, you, if you're more expensive, might go to go to a, a sound center and buy them or buy them from somewhere else. But it, the return policy on Amazon is so easy um, nowadays that, you know, you want to test a couple mics, figure out what you want, and it's got to be really easy to return. Um, I, I know that I bought something recently and the return policy, you know, was like, I was like, oh, that's going to be like, if it doesn't work out, it's going it's to, it's a big lift. Uh, with Amazon, it's a zero lift. <laughs> so, so it's, it's a, you take it to Whole Foods and drop it off, you know? And so uh, definitely take that into account as you start to um, buy these mics, because you might want to go through a couple mics and figure this out, um, as opposed to uh, committing to one. I will say that everybody's, when you talk about mics, and Bill talks about this a lot, that everybody's voice is different. And everybody, you know, everybody, a mic, sounds really good with some people, doesn't sound good with others. And so you you may go through, you, what you want to do is have the option to go through two or three mics before you find, you may buy one and go, oh, this is perfect. I mean, there's the the the, the Blue Yeti is, is $70. The Audio Technica 2020 is $80. The Rode uh, Pod mic is, is $99. Although I will say that we just used the Rode. We had a client that wanted to use the Rode and it's a lot more sensitive to popping. <laughs> so it's So those are the things that you have to kind of take into account. Next question. Next question comes to us from Steve Simmons in Dover, New Jersey. Assuming a mid-level laptop and a blank canvas room with only a $1,000 budget, how should I allocate my spend to get the best possible studio? And what should my priorities be going forward? Go ahead, Bill. Well, you use this term blank canvas room, and, and that scares me. And here's why. I have done this kind of work in five or six different rooms over the last 15 years, some of them highly treated, some of them not treated at all. And when I move into a new place, as we kind of migrated from Arizona over to California, um, in one case, the room was extraordinarily reflective. We had hardwood floors, they were plaster walls that didn't have any kind of texture on, and in fact, the ceiling was was had no texture on it. That room was a nightmare. And I had to bring in tons and tons of ameliorating devices. Uh, I had big panels flown over the ceiling, uh, big sound absorbing panels. Uh, like I have here, I had drapes that I hung on uh, rods to make sure I had some kind of absorbive quality on the hard surfaces just to get within the range of being acceptable. Now, when I moved into this place, 
It has a popcorn ceiling, you know, a textured ceiling. It has thick carpet below it. And half the stuff I had to use in that former room to get anywhere near decent quality sound in the space, I didn't need to use in this room. So there's a ton of variability with that blank canvas room that to me says you're either going to have to spend money to make it functional or you can get by with spending very little money to make it equally funish, uh, functional. And it's going to be the nature of the space that you're moving into. You just have to try, listen, put your mic up and see what you got. Yeah, the, your mic is the most important part. Your sound is the most important part. Cutting out uh, reflections and getting a good solid um, sound is the thing that matters the most. So you want to look at what that investment is going to be required to make that actually happen. And as Bill said, treating the room is the most important thing, in my opinion. Uh, again, the, the thing that I have, um, it depends on also how does the rest of the studio need to look? I only have one wall that I need to show you. <laughs> like you're in, and believe me, there's no other angle that works. You know, and this was this was just storage, and I threw a couple things in there to make it like look nice. But, but this was what it, all my room, all my walls have these big shelves, these big U-line shelves that are that are just full of gear and things and whatever I'm working on there. And so, um, and so I have one that I just put this other stuff in. But I only have one angle that you need to see. The rest of the angles are moving blankets you know around me to the side to both sides here it stops right at where i'm sitting but this whole area is all moving blankets and it's all it's it's a couple c stands um with some you know stuff it might take me over the thousand dollar limit um but i but i don't care how it looks um i all i care about is how it sounds so i'm not trying to impress anybody uh, on the other side of the camera so that's something you have to decide when you when you build these things i don't think at a thousand dollars you have to you can worry about how it looks <laughs> like i just don't think you have the money to do that um but i think that you um but if you when you go into a blank room you're either going to put some stuff on the walls absorption on the walls this isn't soundproofing your walls this is going to be just absorbing reflections and so a lot of times i'll throw up a bunch of sonics i had sonics that i've carried around from one office to another for 20 years it's got holes in it where i the key was sonics by the way sonics is like a foam that you can get that you see in a lot of radio stations it is uh they'll show you how to put uh, glue on the back. They'll show you, if you watch the how to install your Sonics, they'll have this, they'll do a figure S all the way down, this wavy thing, and then they'll put it on the wall. Don't ever do that. Like don't ever, don't ever um, do what they tell you. That's so that, they, that you'll buy more Sonics. What you do is just use a staple gun, a good industrial state staple gun, and you just staple them into the walls. It does less damage to the walls. It's much easier to fill in the staple holes. And it is, uh, and you can pull them off and then you just keep stapling them in a slightly different place. And, you, and, and I, I am proof that you can go to five or six locations and throw that Sonics up. Um, and I just, I wallpaper the whole place with Sonics. And then I just don't have to worry about a lot of reflections. Um, sometimes you have to put some base traps in other things like that. But I was able to reuse them over and over again. Now this is going to push you over your thousand dollar limit. So that's, but it looks nicer. When I don't care what it looks like, I'm using kind of wavy, um, again, uh, the wavy, uh, um, moving, I, I get minor, what are called us cargo control. They're, they're black and white. So they're white on the inside, black on the other side. Don't get ones with color because they'll, they'll affect you. They'll corrupt your, your color itself. So I get their minor white on one side, black on the other. So I can do that. And the one thing I will say is if you can find ones with grommets, it's great, but I, the thicker ones oftentimes don't have grommets and, um, you have to, and they're about, cause you're looking for about 95 pounds per, per dozen. So that's the, that's a thick, that is the, 
90 to 95 pounds a dozen is the thickness of the moving blanket. And, uh, or you know, moving blankets sound like it's, they're all the same, except they're different branding and different price oftentimes. Um, but, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be able to, for a couple hundred dollars, have enough to cover everything. The only thing is you have to put the grommets in yourself. And I, I didn't know what the, you know, they're too thick. They're too thick to use the little staplers. You have to use a hammer. And I didn't know what the inside of my thumb looked like until I was putting grommets into my moving blankets. Uh, go ahead, Jason. Uh, Alex, how far away are your moving blankets? If you reach both of your arms, no, I'm still uh, still three feet away from them because I got have. A, it. So what I did is I um, I built a uh, ten by ten foot box. That's because it has to do with you get limited by whatever you have. EMT pipe comes in ten foot um, lengths. So my box, the box that I'm in is 10 feet. <laughs> so it's a 10 foot by 10 foot by 10 foot box raised about, not quite 10 feet. It's more, it's, it's not quite that high. Um, but, uh, so I just built a box inside of, a, you know, inside of the room that, that does that. Uh, go ahead, Bill. So, uh, Alex was talking about taming reflections and I have a, a step better that I finally figured out for, I used to have RLX panels, which are very much like the, the ones Alex is talking about. And they came in about, uh, 18 inch by three foot panels. So I was trying to figure out how to uh, mount them as I was making a move. And I figured out if I went to the art store and got the thick foam core, not the thin flimsier stuff, but the like three quarters of an inch foam core and mount and cut it. You can cut that stuff with a razor blade and snap it off cleanly. Mount, cut those to the size of your Oralex or Sonex or some other kind of panel that you're buying. And then uh, use spray glue. I used uh, 3M77 to mount those to the foam core pieces. And then you can use command strips, which are genius, I think. And just put them in the corners of the regular things. You'll build yourself a little template. And when you go into a new space, just buy command strips and nothing else. And you can slap these things up. They're incredibly light and they're incredibly effective at stopping reflections. Alex was 100% right. They are not soundproofing. You cannot get any transmission of your sound from this room to the next cut down with these things. But in terms of flutter echo and some of the reverb, it will effectively do that. And I love those because you can just pull them off and take them to the next place and just buy more command strips. Yeah. And, and I will say we, we're, we're fixating on sound because sound is the most important thing. Like just, just to be clear, like you can get away with a lot of camera stuff, but sound you command, you know, it, comes across differently if you if you if you uh, have better sound it, it's the thing that drives people crazy when when they're when you have bad sound next question aaron jen uh of flagstaff thousand dollars seems like a starter kit what could you accomplish with this kit a thousand dollars with what we're outlining let's say you know whatever mic let's say it's, let's say it's an mv7 with a link 360 um you know um uh, or insta 360 link um, some relatively good lights. And if you really want to cover your background, a lot of us have used these Manfrotto um, gray screens that we pop, that I used for a couple of years on this show. Um, with that, if you put those things together, you're in the top 1%. <laughs> like, like like of user of, of people who jump on zoom so so you know i just want to make sure you're clear like we play really hard here but at a thousand dollars you are you know with uh you could put a gray background behind you if you don't want to clean you know if you don't want to put a shelf back there you can have a couple good lights you can have a good webcam you can have a good mic uh you you know an ethernet cable to make sure that you get good connections and you're in the top one percent every in every meeting that you go into you'll be you have a 90%, well, let's say top 10%, but you have a 90% chance of having the best, <laughs> the best setup. So, so when we start talking about the $10,000 one, you're really talking now about, 
a much higher level of, you know, really $10,000 gets us into broadcast level. Like we are now competing with a broadcast insert stage at $1,000. If you go every meeting, you will look and sound better than almost everybody else that's there. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I feel like the the, the lie here is that the, the panelists that you're seeing have a $1,000 studio. The truth is, you know, that that's not, that's not what you should be aiming for if what you have is a webcam and, and a headset. Um, the the again, goal I, here is to get you a little bit more off the ground and you're, well, and I, it's, yeah. And again, I think that $1,000 get you a lot off the ground. Like it's, it's like not like a little off the ground. It is, again, better than almost any person that you see in any meeting that you go into in Zoom. Like, and, and you know, that's the, uh, so you just need to know that it, at that at that price, you are moving way up. Um, and then, you know, we're trying to, reproduce broadcast. So we're playing a little bit harder. And again, that starts to get into the more expensive version of this, which we'll talk about um, the next. And go ahead, Bill. One more thing is we're not really trying to hack your gear so much as we're trying to hack your brain. We're trying to say, these are the things that make a significant difference in how you appear to everybody else on Zoom or whatever. It is thinking about these things. It is thinking about diffusion. It is thinking about your microphone. It is thinking about getting decent lighting on you. Whichever tools, I mean, if you can't afford tool A and have to drop back to half of tool A, the idea behind getting some light on your face so that you pop out of the murk of a room is the key to this. Uh, even if you can't afford the perfect stuff, the techniques are really what makes a difference in this. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Well, this is all about dress for success. Uh, I can't tell you how many meetings that I've been in on Zoom and the CEO is using his webcam and I'm practically looking up his nose. We've got to get them to up their game. Yeah, and I, and I think that uh, life, I, people hate when people say this, but life is a confidence game. You know, like life is a confidence game. It is people feeling confident that you can do what you say you're going to do. They feel confident that you know what you're talking about. They feel like you're in control and that opens up an enormous amount of opportunity for people all the time. Um, you know, and so I think that there is a, uh, I, it's, I'm amazed to what Tom, I've seen this over and over and over again to what Tom's talking about is that people of real authority entering a show with very low quality or entering a meeting with very low quality. I'm like, uh, you know, like, did you feel like you could go to a, a big sales meeting with a, with cutoffs and a t-shirt and some flip flops? Because people, you know, they would very quickly go, oh no, no, people would make a decision about you if you did that. Hmm? <laughs> you know, like so, so like, you know, so, uh, you know, and, and I think as more of us do what we're doing here and as more people spend a thousand dollars on their studio or a little money on their mic, the, you know, it's going to be more and more problematic for people who are casual about it to, to show up. And I will admit that once you have a studio, it does get a little constraining. Like I don't like being in meetings outside of my house. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, I, I will avoid that like the plague. Um, we are building up a, another studio in the office so that I can be down there more often and I can, you know, jump into meetings there but it's uh but i i do find that i'm a little bit constricted there in in that in that realm uh, next question morgan price in victoria british columbia says what would you need to change out in the one thousand dollar studio to make it tinker free if you were setting up the studio for someone else to use i think a lot of the things that we're talking about are pretty tinker free I, you know i think that the big, the big thing that we do when we start moving to a studio that's going to be tinker free is to send them a mac mini with it so we get base mac mini we've got a bunch of them laying around to do exactly this 
and now we control the, the Insta360 or we control the, you know, the, the, the audio paths and so on and so forth. So that, that definitely takes a lot of the work out of it. Go ahead, Bill. Well, also little things like you want to make it easy to use. When I come in every morning to do this, I have two switch panels that have master switches on them. I turn those two on. All my lights come up. The camera comes up. I'm ready to log into Zoom. And the presets from everything, I can load into Zoom. And so in literally about two minutes, I can go from nothing's on in this space to ready to make my presence known through Zoom. So those little, uh, you know, make it simple to operate as well as well-designed. Yeah, and I think that again, um, if if one, the things you want to do is a low profile arm with on the mic makes a big difference, especially if it's attached to something other than the table. So if you're talking about tinker free, it's not tinker free, but it's really easy for them to move to where they need to go. And and having that freedom, so much of life is interface. You know, your interface drives what you what you do. And so figuring out a way that it's easy for them to set up, it's easy for them to to work through it. The Insta360 is a really good one. You can use a regular. The problem with a regular uh, like a Brio, which we used for years is that you're always trying to reframe and trying to figure things out and having something where you can ask somebody to just move and frame. And again, it'll stay that way. Um, and you can even set a setting that they just push the button and it'll go back to where it was. So those are things that you can that you can make happen. Other things that you can do with your lights is to attach them to a, a, a central, these lights take so much, so little draw that you can get one of those little um, uh, home kit or material or whatever um, plugs and plug all your lights into it. And then just simply, you know, go, when you walk in or when you hit on your phone or when you tap a button on it, it just lights up everything as well. So you don't have to turn everything on and off as well. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next. He says, for someone already invested in an audio setup, would an Insta360 Link, uh, $299 US, and a Blue Sona mic with a compass arm, US $448, be a solid start to a $1,000 studio? I think that right now the Insta360 is the one a lot of us have chosen, although, again, we're going to be looking a little closer at the OBSBOT because of the, as it rolls out because of the OSC control. So, so we are looking at that one from a growth perspective, but the Insta360 is something a lot of us have used a lot um, to make this work. The, um, uh, the Blue Sona, I, I haven't used it yet. I really feel like they're, they made it look shiny and they're charging more for it, and I don't know if you're getting any value. I don't know if you're getting any, any other like value for the money. So I would probably lean back into um, an MV7, MV7X, uh, you know, some of those those things I would go, I don't know if I'd, I'd rather have a low profile Elgato arm with a, I don't like the Elgato mics, I have to admit. I have, I just lent one out to somebody, but I don't, I don't think, but the arm is great. Uh, next question. Brody Brazil in San Francisco says, I'd like to suggest that at least $50, but closer to $100 goes to the acoustic treatment. Agree with everyone who says that audio matters more than video at first. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, let me try to round this out a little bit. There's no such thing as a, as a, a studio space that doesn't benefit from acoustic treatment. And to that end, it's very hard to, to, think, to think in terms of, I've got these big glass reflective surfaces called monitors, and I don't need to treat anything. So it's a hard argument to, to disagree with. Yeah, no, I would spend at least $100 on the treatment. Like, you're going to figure that out. You're going to put some blankets up. You're going to drop something around to start to start breaking that that information, that that up. But I think that $50 to $100 or even up to $200 of your budget maybe want to eat, eat up um, doing that because 
it's a subtle reflection that is kind of a bummer, you know, like that you're, you're so close with a good mic and then you still hear just a little bit of reverb. So getting rid of that reverb definitely makes a difference in the intelligibility as well as just how it feels from a quality perspective. Go ahead, Bill. And also pay attention to where you're locating yourself in the room. You know, most rooms are boxes and the 10 by 10, 10 by 12 room uh, spare bedroom is a typical thing we find ourselves in all the time. I'm in a corner of one of my rooms. That's why behind me you're seeing the other corner. I position myself diagonally rather than square to a wall for a couple of reasons. Number one, I want to be able to get behind my equipment for patching circumstances. I found early in my career that building things against walls makes it really <laughs> hard to change things. You can always tell someone who does this a lot. I can tell, I can tell that you like, it's like, tell me that you've done a lot of production without telling me the, 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 um, the, uh, the table, when you go to set up, the table is always two to three feet from the wall. And that's how you tell me that you, that you've done this before without telling me, because I, mean, I just look at it and go, well, they've done this before. They have some experience because for the first year, everyone always just pushes it up against the wall and then they're, they're trying to figure stuff out. But there's some point where you just go, I'm going to leave time room so that I can comfortably walk back there and sort things out. You know, it's just, it's a funny, it's a funny thing though. Cause it's, there's just this time, there's some point, a certain number of productions where people just stop doing that, you know, it's and, a tell, uh, it's a it tell, is, it's such a tell, it's such a tell. Like if you, I kid you not, if I walk into a production and, and you pushed a portable table up to the wall, I make an assumption that you don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> Like you're green, you're new, and I'm gonna uh, and I'll talk really nicely to you. You'll notice because my eyebrows will go up and I'll be like, "Hey, how's it going? Let's uh, let's get going here. Let's let's see let's see what you know." Because I've decided like you're a production child. So anyway, go ahead. Um, yeah. So the corner facing hey, into buddy. a corner. How's, how's that wall how's doing? So we're gonna we're gonna pick up this camera now and we're gonna put it over there. You know, and, and it's like it's a little like. Little fluffy clouds. Um, yeah, go ahead, Jason. Oh, okay, that hurts. Wait a second. Let me finish this up real quick, though. <laughs> go ahead, so by, go ahead. by putting it into a corner, I've understood that I'm not directly talking into a flat surface. It's going to reflect on another flat surface. It's going to bounce back to that same flat surface and create a, an echo that I don't want to get yeah. it. Once I'm in a corner, and I, I the more complex reflections can be controlled with drapes right. and soundproofing and things like that. Yeah. But unless you have more space than I do, you want to pay attention a little things like that. Thanks. If you go at an angle and then you treat two walls, you'll get rid of almost everything. Like that's, I mean, that's the, that's the reality. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, Jason what were you going to say? One more? Uh, the, the way I got rid of re reflectivity in, in this space is that there's 10 feet going that way. And yeah, at least four feet between that iMac and the wall. Yeah. And it makes a massive difference. Yeah. Next question. Next question comes to us from Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. Does an Atom Mini make any sense for this budget since a recommendation for a camera probably would be an Insta360 link? Go ahead, Tom. Well, since you're going to have to convert that USB output on the Insta360 to HDMI and then take it into an Atom Mini, now your budget's gone. You have no room for a microphone. So unless you're going to be a mime, this probably won't work out. So, uh, yeah, we're going to probably bring in the ATEM Mini on the next show. Yeah, yeah, Alex. I would look at a used Panasonic Lumix G7 with a 7 Artisans lens on there. They're both, both of those options are very inexpensive, and I'm, I'm on one right now. Yeah, I think that if you, I, I do think, though, that you, if you, as soon as you say you're going to um, A10 Mini, I think you're going to go over $1,000. <laughs> you know, like the camera, the everything else that you do to it with the lighting, with the sound, um, I think you're going to crest over that. Next question. 
Tom Ferguson, Phoenix, Arizona, wonders if the Linsole KZS-10 Pros in-ear are still the recommended choice. Uh, that's what I mean. I think those these are the $50 ones, Tom. Is that the ones you're yes. talking about? Yeah, the $50 ones are the ones. I, I, I think of the Linsoles in, in price point. Uh, there's a $25 or $30 version that sounds like it's in it's mud. Uh, there's the $50 one, which is the one I'm using. I have like, I don't know, I have, I have them in every bag. And then there's the more professional versions. There's the, I don't know what they are, extremes or something or other that I keep around, but I find them very uncomfortable. There's some reason that they they sound they do sound a little bit better, but I can't wear them for more than about a half an hour. So um, so I find that the, and those are like 130 or $150. And so the hundred and the $50 ones are the right ones, in my opinion. Uh, and I use them. They are not accurate. If I'm trying to make a decision about mixing or something else like that, um, I'm using uh, these Audio Technicas that I have here that, to listen to those. Um, but they are, for being on the show, I find them to be great. Um, next question. Ryan Raderman in Chicago, Illinois says, what would you recommend for a carrying case for the Linsole in-ear monitors? Go ahead, Alex. Ugreen makes a really nice little case for $8.99 on sale right now. I posted a link there. Next question. Next question comes to us from Rob Collins in Kansas City, Missouri. What considerations are necessary in a $1,000 studio when the room it's in is also your bedroom? Go ahead, Jason. This is a great question. And um, many of us started with studios in or very close to a, to a bedroom. Mine started in, in college in a, in a dorm room. And um, my first thought along these lines is that if you have a closet, it depends on what you're recording, really. But but if you have a closet, be be mindful of of different ways to use that space. Possibly a vocal booth, um, or, I don't know, any any sort of thing along those lines. Also, remember that the mattress is something you can move, and it is an excellent sound barrier. Good, Tom. Also, give thought to the overhead lighting. Make sure that it's the same color temperature as the lights you're trying to use for your primary lights. Yeah, good, Bill. And also, when it comes back to sound, um, a lot of us started out our first things. In fact, my first commercial voiceover job was for a TV station in Phoenix, and their voice booth was a closet. It was literally the tape closet. Whenever I came in to do uh, my daybook announcing stuff, they would set up a mic in the closet and sit me in there. If you have enough space in your closet, that can be a good audio place for doing voiceovers and things like that. So, um, you know, you're using every bit of space you can. If you are there and you have a bunch of coats and things like that that are good things, sometimes leaving the door open even and setting up your space so that you're either in front of or right next to that coat closet will keep some of the reflections from getting in there. So that's a bedroom use tip. Yeah, the um, and. If you're sensitive to what's behind you, whether it's a bedroom or your kitchen or your living room, you also want to think about potentially the Manfrotto collapsible reversible background. So this is a gray on one side, white on the other, a gray on one side, black on the other. Now it's like a $250 or $270 or something like that. But what it'll do is it's just something that will pop open and it's just gray. <laughs> behind you. And uh, and so that's something that if, if you're not sensitive to it, then it's fine. And you, you know, if you keep a bed clean uh, and, and, and structured, it's fine back there. Um, but if you want to, if you're sensitive to it, I think a lot of people during COVID became sensitive to showing everybody their kitchen or showing everybody their living room or showing any, so any multi-use room, uh, you can pop up a screen behind you and, and kind of cover that up. Next question. 
Kyle Hammond in Chicago says, is the OSC control for OBSBOT only on the new model or is it a firmware update to the previous 4K? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if the older ones, we're focused on the newer one because of the chip size, uh, because of some of the other quality things that, they're, that they added. And I don't know if the OSC works on the older ones or not. So it's something the, the jury's still out on. Uh, next question. Peter Belbin in Houston, can the Insta360 link being rather small, sitting directly in front of a largest monitor, be a good alternative to using a teleprompter? So we actually do that with Michael Krasny's show. We we have a little, a very small little tripod. And Mike, you know, I asked him, like, does this bother you? And it didn't bother him at all. So it's a very small tripod with a, with a thin arm that goes up. Um, and uh, we just put the Insta360 right in the middle of the monitor so that he's just looking right at it. And on one side of that, he sees Makana, the teleprompter view, so he can kind of just read questions. And on the other side, he sees the person he's talking to. It's worked really well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that cost-effectively that, that could work. You can also build, remember that a teleprompter is not nearly, I've built a teleprompter once with card, a cardboard box. <laughs> so, so I literally was able to find glass that was silvered and I literally cut a 45 degree thing out of a cardboard box and just set it on the monitor and we had a teleprompter. Um, and, and so you don't need to have a, uh, you don't need to have a, something complicated. It's, it's all about the mirrored glass. Uh, and so that can be bought for a lot less. Um, you can get it, you can get an industrial version, which isn't quite as sharp for 60, 70 bucks. You get the, a real teleprompter glass for six or $700. Um, and, and then you build around that as well. So you can't, there's some other cost effective ways to do that. Any glass company that's in your, in a major city will have mirrored glass. You just have to decide what the transmission is. Is it 60, 40, 70, 30, et cetera. Next question. Next question comes to us from Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia. What's the model of the OC White Boom that Alex and Jason are using? Go ahead, Tom. Okay, I pulled it up. It is not cheap. Let's see here. It's this one here. Are you, is that what you're using, or is that? Yes, that's what I'm using. Yeah, and yeah, it's the yeah, it's the Ultima. Is that what you're? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, Ultima. Yeah, and I've got a height riser on mine too, so. Uh, Alex, uh, Alex, I think is going straight across. I've got a forty-five degree up in in addition to this, you know, in addition to this adjustable stand. Yeah, mine's. I think mine's like an Ultima Two Ultra Gen uh, Ultima Gen Two Ultra Low Profile is the one that I'm using. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. And I'm using the ancient OC White one that I've had for probably thirty years. It's oops, let me turn that back up. Right, it's got springs and everything. It's still quiet and still does the job beautifully. I've had it for probably forty years. I don't get the red one. There's a red one. I'm like, why would you make your mic mic thing red? Jock <laughs> jock. <laughs> yes, let's go. Yeah, that seems like a very odd thing to do. Uh, next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. What is the gear list for an under $1,000 rolling table that you could move around your offices? And what brand table would you use? You know, it's a good question. I, I just, uh, I, here's the worst part. I have one that's sitting in a box that's been sitting in a box for quite some time that I bought that, that goes up and down and rolls around. And I can't find out. I, I decided it's still sitting in a box because I decided to get another one that's like the one I have here, which has got a, um, a table and other things to it. Uh, and uh, go ahead, Jason. My entire desk was $400 from Monoprice. And it was because the desk part is just plywood. Uh, I, you know, I bought the, the up down legs. It's a 
pretty big desk and it's going, you know, a 90 degree angle. So it's an L-shaped desk, um, you know, that and some heavy, solid caster wheels. And um, I'm away to the races. Yeah, go, Bill. Yeah, I would just be careful about that. Remember, we've all kind of built our rigs up and they get kind of top heavy with all the monitors and all the equipment, things like that. Uh, if I, when I, in the past, I have had lightweight stands and I've done production in the field, I've almost always really quickly in my career moved to a heavier weight stand. It's a little harder to travel with and pack down and break down. But the stability has never felt like a wrong decision to me. I like things that are really stable if you're moving around. And the one that I that I I do have that I haven't constructed yet, but it's still sitting there waiting to be constructed, is the it's the Fezzibo. <laughs> it's a Fezzibo uh, dual monitor height adjustable electric standing desk. So it it, it has wheels and it goes up and down. Um, so it, and it looks pretty stable. And I'll let you know as I build it out. Go ahead, Jason. And to Bill's point, uh, I, I wouldn't play around with just any plywood. This is two inches thick, and it's double reinforced with T-joints um, kind of all over it. Because, yes, if this desk cracks, a lot of money just goes away. Uh, next question. Kyle Hammond in Chicago, back again with Alex. Can you share the Insta360 carrying case you had shared previously? Did they sell out? Uh, yeah, let me, let me, um, case, let's see, Insta3, we're about to, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, order them quickly when we do this, um, the, uh, the one that I got that I'm happy with is the, here, I'll put it in, um, I'm going to, let's see here, it's called the VG, the Vigion, I don't, you know, these crazy, uh, names for these. Um, but it's a uh, Vision storage case for the Insta360. I mean, someone made one for eighteen dollars. Uh, so you know, you know they uh, and I, I'll put it into the um, uh, into the link here. Hold on, let me uh, get into the right page, and I will put it in here. So this is the one I just put it into the into Makana into the chat. So that's the one that I use. I've got four of them. I got one for each of my Insta 360s, and I'm uh, super happy with it. So it's uh, it 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 well is big enough to hold the Insta 360. Plus, if you get, I have a long cable with it, and I tied it really tight and stuck it in there, and so it it'll hold that. It also you know so it's it does all the things it needs to do, and you clamp them down. And it it made it so much easier for me to move things around. I highly recommend one. Um, next question. Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana, up next with what kind of drawings and or graphics would you do for a $1,000 system? Uh, I think that, again, I think that that would be difficult depending on what you wanted to do uh, with that. It depends on what else you already have. So the thing that is that has become much more affordable are things like Wacom tablets and so on and so forth. So that you potentially do it with, you know, with a Wacom. I use a Wacom tablet, but there's also a lot of tablets that are $150 or whatever. When it comes to drawing, I definitely prefer to be able to see what I'm drawing over top of. And so video pencil is, is one. If you have an iPad, video pencil um, by Square TV um, has got, uh, um, you know, that that might work for what you're doing, depending on what you're interfacing with and whether, you know, whether it can see it and so on and so forth. You really do want something that you can draw there. Um, but uh, that's, you know, do you have an iPad? Do you have a, a phone? Do you have those things are start to become more important as you as you go from there? Uh, next question. Uh, looks like the last one from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. Anyone aware of teleprompter reversal apps that work on the Amazon Fire 10-inch? You know, if, uh, what I recommend, and I know that uh, in a larger environment, in a more production environment, 
Courtney has often talked about the fact that you don't want to have anything reverse it. You want the hardware to reverse it so that you can decide which way it's going for lots of different monitors. But for a $1,000 studio, I would recommend buying software that will that will do the reversal for you. So, um, you know, you can get teleprompt software, all the, you know, almost every teleprompt software on a Mac at least will reverse the text. So that's something that you want to kind of think through is, um, is, is the software that will do it. Then you don't have to worry about doing it on the far end. So that, that'd be the thing that I would, uh, I would think about there. Well, that was a good conversation. Covered can a lot I, of ground there. Um, it's good, good. Uh, we got one more, did one more slide in there? Uh, no, I just wanted to interject that Harshid actually, oh, we do have one, but Harshid yeah. Trivedi actually has a thousand dollar studio. This came up in chat and I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So he's, he's, she's showing you how good it can be. That's great. Uh, um, we have one more question. Yeah, the last one, Roscoe from Madison, Roscoe Jones. Are there any user documents that would create you would create for a studio? I mean, there's always user documents. If you're doing it for someone else, I mean, any even if it's a simple one, I recommend whether it's H2R graphics or OmniGraffle or other things like that. I think that um, that you can you you should build a little wiring diagram. Like this is where everything is going. Um, this goes into here. This goes into here. You have little like just so you know. And then I would keep that active. So um, you uh, want to turn you know like say if you change something, change it on the diagram. It's so much easier to think about when you're trying to think about how am I going to do something else is to is to make that actually um, something you can see. So um, use it as a as a way to kind of grow into it from there. All right, thanks everybody. Think, uh, I think that was a that was a good little conversation here. Uh, we we traveled sixty seven thousand miles today, hundred eight thousand kilometers. That's more than um, five hundred and thirty six million bananas for scale. So uh, so good. It was good, and it was um, uh, and I think that uh, you know we're going to keep on having these discussions. So keep on thinking about those things. One thing to remember is we cover these subjects in detail for a second hour, but hopefully they stir up some ideas. You can always ask questions about studios, of course, in the regular first hour of every day. So, so every day that we talk here, um, you know, look, you know, you can always ask the kind of questions. If this if this gets you thinking about things, and you still have questions, go ahead and throw those in um, to our general discussion. Um, so we don't you don't have to wait for the next studio one to ask those questions. A uh, quick reminder that we have the volunteer. Um, there's in the email that goes out. There's a there's a click to give you information about the volunteer meeting tomorrow. So I'm going to be there, and uh, Josh and some other folks are going to be there talking about volunteering. And so if you're interested, there's so many opportunities uh, inside of what we're doing, whether it's live production or or research or prep and all these other bits and pieces. So if you're interested in that, uh, make sure to um, you know uh, look at the website or look at the. Um, Look at the email, and it'll send you to the right place to uh, be there. But we're right after our show uh, tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. Okay, uh, thanks. Thanks so much to the producers. Uh, it's really, really great to you know you have a lot of questions. <laughs> we got to almost fifty today, first and second hour. So really, thank you for uh, keeping that show going, keeping the show going because you do. Uh, thanks to the panelists. We can't do this without you. And of course, thanks to the incredible staff on the back end that makes this happen every single day, seven days a week, year round. It's amazing. All right. We'll talk to you soon. We're now jumping into After Hours. Oh, we're going to send out an announcement. Walter Merch is in the house later today for, for Gray Matter. We'll send it out. Look at Discord. You can ask questions from Walter Merch. That's all I'm saying. Walter Merch at some time, undisclosed Zulu, Zulu, Zulu. Yeah. So it's coming 11 a.m. today. We'll put an announcement out on Discord. Stay tuned.